right. So can you introduce yourself? So your name, and if you're a student, your year and program, and your affiliations. Okay, awesome. Um, so my name is Victoria Marchand, and I'm the coordinator at the Mashkwazi Wogomeg Indigenous Resource Center. Um, and I'm also a nursing student at Iwatawa, uh, but I work here full time. I'm also the president of the Canadian Nursing Students Association and a director with the Canadian Nurses Association. Right. And uh, can you tell me what your cultural identity is? Yeah, so I'm First Nations. Um, I'm Algonquin from Kitagon CB and Long Point First Nation. All right. And what has your experience uh, with mental health been? Oh, my God. Um, I grew up um, with panic disorder um, and SAD and was diagnosed when I was 12. So really, it's been a lifelong journey kind of figuring out um, at a really young age um, navigating feelings and how to appropriately activate like certain tools in order to kind of deal with those emotions. So I was really, really lucky to be diagnosed at a young age. Um, but mental health is something that um, I deal with every day. Um, panic attacks, depression, um, some like really intense um, episodes sometimes. So it's like, it's nice to know that you can still have live a happy life and still deal with your mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, within your work um, at the center, is there, I think, do you, do you have kind of deal with mental health or is there mental health services offered? Yeah, so um, before the bigger incident that kind of was the domino effect for all the other incidents, because it is a huge issue. And I think um, at our center, we see all of the Indigenous students, right? So there's over 500 Indigenous students on campus, but not everyone accesses the services. But it's just so um, we can email them, let them know that they do exist. So we actually have a counselor. She doesn't like being called a counselor, but essentially she has counseling background. Um, her name's Elaine Kiknosway, and she um, visits the center and she has an, her own intake form that a student can fill out and meet with her one-on-one -on -one, or even with like a friend they can bring or even like as group counseling. Um, so that's kind of been something that we started in the last month to two months. So it's almost like at the right time. Um, we have been doing it before, but it is hard to find an Indigenous-based counselor in the area. So I think that's like a barrier we've been facing is actually finding um, – like an indigenous counselor specific, like we're, we're always trying to use our own networks, but it's just sometimes there's, there's so many things that p other, like the outside people can't see to the barriers that we face to try and find and access these services because they're so needed. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when we ask um, an indigenous counselor, let's say, or a, like a mental health support, they're already so over bombarded. So there's such a huge need to like somehow grow that number, like increase the numbers in mental health support specific to indigenous people and students. Um, we also have two visiting elders that come to the center and that's been ongoing for years. Mm -hmm. So that's been really nice, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what would you say is the importance of having like indigenous counselors for the students? I think it's, the, it, there's this whole debate because I'm from a health background, like there's this mm -hmm. whole debate of like, how do you integrate traditional knowledge into Western westernized medicine mm -hmm. and that's still something that even though there's like peer-reviewed resources articles no matter what type and like tangible like re research you have it's something that between two people you can't recreate that onto paper and if you have an indigenous person that's kind of supporting your mental health needs 
it makes the biggest difference because then you don't have to explain your intergenerational trauma because they already know Mm -hmm. you don't have to explain um your possible like for for i can only speak to me for my mental health experience Mm -hmm. um and also like realizing that the language that you use with indigenous students is very important and peculiar uh, particular sorry because of what we've lived and because of what our parents and our grandparents lived. So that's super important, I find. Um, But the biggest thing for me personally is the difference between a non-Indigenous and Indigenous mental health support is the fact that I didn't have to explain like my relationship to my parents and why it's, it is the way it is, why it may be fragmented, why it might be kind of like a roller coaster. It's because that they're also finding their own way around the intergenerational trauma that exists in our family and in our culture. So it's just, um, it's just nice to not have to explain it to someone, especially when you're going through your own crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just like opening old wounds up again that you don't need to. So you're actually like completely fast tracking almost your, your recovery, your so-called recovery, let's say, because ultimately you're not having to open up those old traumas because they know and they know the questions to ask they know how to appropriately give the care that they need Mm -hmm. and how would you say um that mental health is addressed within agricultural setting culturally um i'll just talk like locally like Mm kind of like the actual services you can go visit so there's wabano um center which is the aboriginal health center um there's walk-in um mental health services so walking counseling they have um i know that the royal ottawa is like more general like for the general public but their wait list isn't insanely long for different services depending on what you need um and if i think like the biggest issue too is if you're actually having a really hard time, you have to become hospitalized in order to access that care that you need. And even then they're not sensitive to culture um, ceremonies. So like our institution, like at Ottawa U, they're very, um, with the policy that our office released with the smudging policy, well, ceremonial practices, we call them, mm-hmm. um, for First Nations, for Algonquin people at least, we smudge. So I think that's really important that the university supports and like allows us to do that for free. So before, um, a couple of years ago, you used to have to pay, mm. I think, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars, if not $1,000, just to smudge mm. in a room. But now um, our office has been able to do um, really good, um, like to build those connections with the right people and, and have, our, have us backed up by administration here to be like, no, like you shouldn't have to pay in order to smudge, which is healing because the smoke... Um, like I guess like I'll explain it because it's a really educational piece that's super important to like clearing the mind which is important for mental wellness so you have your shell signifies the water then you have your medicines on the inside and we usually burn sweet grass or sage at the university because um it's sh- it just the sweet grass smells really good um and the sage I find is really about kind of like energy cleansing which is awesome like I I personally love that especially when you've had a stressful day or when you just need like a 10 minute break and you just need to like think to yourself um so burning sage really helps with that and then the smoke is like another element right because you have your earth with your your medicines like the sage grows from the ground like all of that um and then the smoke 
and then you kind of just um, gently put it over your eyes, your nose, your your hair, your ears. And a lot of people do it a little bit differently, um, but our office is coming up with like a how-to smudge video. And so that, let's say you're attending an event on campus that's indigenous based, mm-hmm. um, or if you wanna access kind of more um, of a holistic like counseling and you wanna smudge or something, then you have a video exactly explaining what to do and how to do it in a safe way. Mm-hmm. And what do you think of mental health on campus in general and how have you found the conversation here at U Ottawa? Like, I want to be like super clear. I'm speaking as a student for this. Mm-hmm. So I've been here since 2014. So I've been here for a while, like as a student. And I was on the varsity soccer team um, and I was really struggling with my mental health um, in for school. Cause imagine being like nursing, working, like 20 hours a week and then training 20 plus hours a week like that's two full-time jobs Mm -hmm. that you're juggling right as any student would it's just a little bit more specialized for a varsity athlete and I think for the first three years when I was playing soccer I would commit myself from for the whole season right so my brain wasn't even thinking about how to take care of me because running around for two three hours a day was taking care of myself physically Mm -hmm. but then when the season stopped I would always have all of those emotions that I kind of suppressed for the three four months kind of explode and I wouldn't do good in school anything like that but there I, I found it was inadequate I'm not gonna lie like I'm not gonna beat around the bush like I thought it was really inadequate and that's for someone who's very integrated into our the culture of U Ottawa, like mm-hmm. a student athlete culture. Like we're accessing all the regular services of student, but we're also accessing sports services. And you would think in sports services too that that at the time, not right now, like I can't speak for right now, but at the time they would have encouraged more mental health talk. Um, and I think in my last year they started to do that. So that's really good and I'd be more I'd be curious to see how it is now to see kind of their journey on how to support mental wellness for student athletes, but in nursing specifically, wow, I don't, I feel like I'm talking shit, but like at the same time too, I'm like, you just, we need to talk about how to talk about these issues in order to do better. Um, I felt very unsupported in my program. I felt, um, as though, I was doing bad in my courses and they chalked it up to me not studying. They chalked it up to all these different other like quote unquote like risk factors Mm -hmm. that weren't actually associated to my overall education. It was actually all like my mental illness coming through in different ways. Like it wasn't, I wasn't being lazy. I just couldn't get out of bed because I was so depressed. I couldn't make it to my exams. I couldn't make it to my classes. Like it got so bad, like um, being like trying different medications because as I was saying too when I was 12 up until today like this very moment it's like mental health is a constant um, I don't want to say battle because some days it's a battle but some days it's your saving grace right it's like Mm -hmm. it's just like it happens throughout your life it's a huge part of your life yeah Yeah, it's like it's it's almost as if it, it really is mental wellness like and I can't emphasize enough on being strength based when talking about a mental like illness as being mental wellness because no matter how ill you are there's always going to be a better day right mm-hmm. so I, I and 
it's all about like setting like a good mind frame but that comes with years and years and years of practice and, and when you're at uni you have four years usually mm-hmm. or five six like six like me right like I'm kind of just doing electives doing what I can and now I'm working full-time but I mean as an employee as a coordinator I know of all the services now and so it's really interesting in my current job it's like I can be that link between a student that was like me that had zero clues or felt very unsupported by their school department or faculty and being that link to make sure that they don't feel the same way I did so it's almost like a personal experience engaging and making sure that it doesn't happen to like our current indigenous students specifically like obviously at the resource center like we're more than welcoming to all students so like indigenous and non-indigenous However, the services that we have really do pertain to Indigenous students, I would say. So mm-hmm. it's very specific I w- like to them. Um, I think there's a bit like, um, I would say that because we're on Algonquin territory, we try to always bring the community in closer. Just yesterday, our director visited Kitagon CB, talked to the elders there. We're always having um, community meetings. So it's really nice to kind of like bring in the community and also see their needs. Because the biggest thing for an institution to understand is that you're not only here for your students, but you should be there for like the community as well, especially for the like the nation that whose traditional lands we're on too. So Mm -hmm. it's really important. I don't know. I'm like going off. No, it's really important. So what do you think is missing um, around the conversation um, in the healthcare system itself regarding mental health? Um, like I said, like I'm currently the president of All the Nursing Students in Canada and also on the board of the Canadian Nurses Association. So all the registered nurses kind of who are a part of the association. So it's really interesting for me because it's always been a constant conversation for like the last few years. And everyone loves to ask that question because what can we do right because especially for indigenous people we have our non-insured health benefits which are federally mandated so it's brought in by the federal government whereas for other people it's through the province so there's already like a disconnect and you can see how um how there's um like with that disconnect um, it, a good example of it is Jordan's principle with the First Nations Caring Society. You can see how like a, li- a life could be ruined and death is the end of that um, for a little child. So I think it's really important for us to understand kind of, okay, what are what is the responsibility of like the federal and the provincial governments? But also even just for like, like for myself, I have my status card that I can access that federal health and I have my OHIT that I can access provincial health. I have not used my status card in a while for healthcare. Um, it's mostly just if I want, um, like I, I purchased a purchase, like an IUD and I had it covered through my non-insured health benefits. But let's say um, someone with an OHIP card, it really depends, right? So I know that the Ford government took away that under 25 like OHIP plus so that was devastating Mm -hmm. because a lot of 25 like I just turned 26 but when I was 25 like I relied on that for so many things for my meds like especially for mental health medication and I think too when we I know that right now the Canadian um, Federation of Nurses Unions so just a side note on I keep talking about nurses but they're the biggest frontline group 
for healthcare. Mm -hmm. Like physicians are a small number of that. Like occupational therapists are a small number. Like all these other like really amazing jobs are, are, are smaller groups. Nurses are literally the heart of healthcare. So it's really important to listen to them, I, I believe. And I'm not an RN. Mm -hmm. But I do sit on these boards and I listen, soak up the information and that right now they're really pushing for a pharmacare action mm -hmm. plan. And some of the governments are kind of adopting some of the strategic initiatives of it. But I think it's kind of how do we leverage our voices as the public? How do we leverage our voices and kind of explicitly tell the government who's mandating all of these like policies, procedures over our medications, over our health care? Like, how do we how do we navigate a hospital? I don't think that's something that we learn in school. Mm -hmm. That's something that we should be learning. That's something that we should be taught from like kindergarten to when we graduate high school. Like, this is something that we will always face, like going to the hospital. I guarantee you every single one of us has been to the hospital. <laughs> and if not, like, good for you. But it's just like reality. Right. Mm -hmm. So. But yeah, I think it's like leveraging your voice, understanding how, like how to navigate the healthcare system, which is a huge gap in our education and should be embedded in all curriculum, like for K to 12, even in university. Like I know that determinants of health was like um, I needed to take that course. It was a compulsory course, um, but I think it should be for everyone because everyone has health to attend to, especially mental health. Like what do we have here in Ottawa? Like, n no one really knows. Like, Google Mental Health Services Ottawa, you'll see a lot of private clinics come mm -hmm. up first because they're advertised. They are able to spend all that private money yeah. and really promote themselves. But then what about free access to health care or mental health services? We don't really know and we don't talk about that enough. There's not, like, a running list that we have. Um, and and that goes for you, Ottawa. That goes for Carleton. That goes for Algonquin. But I really want to, like, urge the other institutions to talk about it because I feel like we've been very transparent about, like, our mental health. Like, and that's why we're kind of being, like, not, I don't want to say targeted. It's, like, a bad thing. But we are kind of. Like the spotlight's the on spot us. Exa exactly. And I think that it's a good thing because we're generating that conversation over mental illness or mental health. But. What about Carlton? Guarantee you there's probably a similar number. Algonquin, probably a similar number, you know? And, like, they, we just don't talk about those things. I've been to Algonquin for – I was a student at Algonquin for three years, and the same exact thing. There's mm -hmm. a lack of mental health services. There's not, like – they don't promote it. It's not a part of, like, their comms directorate or, like, their comms mandate. So I think th this is such a larger issue. And we – like, like, we, like we're talking about, we're spotlighted, but – it's not just us. And I think Sejap Heritage, like Carlton, Algonquin, they need to be more accountable for those numbers as well because we need to show and kind of say, we need to advocate for our students that are not here anymore, you know, and mm -hmm. for them to just kind of brush it under the rug and say, okay, like, oh, no, Ottawa U is being targeted. Like, thank God it's not us because I'm pretty sure that's what's running through their heads right for yeah. optics mm -hmm. and like I don't want to like speak badly about anything like I'm sure I'm sure we're all doing the best we can but is it really our best like there's so much more to improve on and in any aspect so I think really like prioritizing promotion of mental health is like a huge standard of health care that we need to to upgrade so mm -hmm. but yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and um so you you've talked uh about some like the barriers that already exist just like in Ottawa for anyone just like finding the services and 
um, just like the lack of services also, also in other institutions. Yeah. Um, so what would be other barriers that would affect um, someone who's indigenous and is looking for those services on top of like yeah. services that are like kind of, as you said, relevant to um, to them? I think we need to understand, too, that there's this kind of complex when we when anyone goes into a new space mm-hmm. or a new environment where why would we open up to a stranger who historically has hurt us? So for me, my therapists, well, growing up, they were always white. Um, and I was okay with that. But as I became older, kind of learned more of my history, my family history, and like started kind of learning about myself, I was more comfortable with BIPOC people or BIPOC therapists. And I think it just goes to understanding like, I like personally, I need someone who understands me at that next level, a way someone who might be privileged will not. And privilege is not a bad thing. Like we all have it. And I think that's something really important to like say probably in this podcast is, is it's not to make you feel guilty. It's not so you can carry white guilt or fragility around those issues. Mm -hmm. It's really more about kind of assessing your own privilege because I have privilege as an indigenous woman. I for sure have privilege. Like I live in a house. I can afford food. Uh, like all these different types of things. Those are types of privilege that I have over my other indigenous like colleagues, mm-hmm. right? So it, it's very different. But another barrier I would say is finances. So like I was mentioning federal versus provincial, mm-hmm. that's definitely a big one. The comfort um, and also cultural safety training for non-indigenous therapists or cognitive behavioral like counselors, like any any person like that there's a lack of cultural training that's mandated through their college, um, through their um, their licensing um, process. So they don't need to have sometimes cultural training depending on where they work. And I think that's really, really huge um, because what if I go in to um, a session with my therapist and we start talking about really like hard issues that have to do about my family but are really pertain to first nations issues because of colonialism because of colonization like all of those if they don't have the cultural training then how are they supposed to provide supports to me pertaining to indigenous matters Mm -hmm. you know like there's that huge huge gap of understanding and it's not because of their white but uh, probably the lack of training as well so that's another barrier i think the biggest barrier is the lack of training that Mm -hmm. there that maybe not exists because i know that sanya's training is is kind of being um take sanya's is like s-a-n-y-a-s training and that's like a kind of a method of cultural training that healthcare providers can take anyone can really take Mm -hmm. um but it's really important for people to kind of look at their options and see what um who who's making the cultural training first of all Mm -hmm. is it indigenous based or is it indigenous people for indigenous people like trying to develop that curriculum almost or is it a bunch of white people sitting in an office talking about what indigenous people need um but yeah anyways like i said these are all my own thoughts (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. And is the sanus is it um required or is it just kind of like anyone can take it if you want and if you have access to it? Both. Okay. So like the first part, anyone can take take it if they want. You can go online and they like have modules that you can sign up and pay for 
and then you get like a certification which is really awesome mm-hmm. i know that you probably want to like research this a little bit better but just from my own memory um bc kind of is using it um for certain things um the first nations health authority is kind of recommending it ontario government so i know bc and ontario are really kind of trying to use sanius more for public servants and healthcare providers like they're trying to push it but like let's say for the college of nurses of ontario like are they including that in training like are they really recommending that school of nursing across ontario like adopt that into the training for them to graduate you know we should probably be doing that like it's and that's why i say like an institution can only do so much because sometimes your our hands are tied by what the college of nurses say by whatever professional association you will enter afterwards by your licensing afterwards so like teachers let's say for example they should definitely have that because they're teaching the youth or adults or whoever they're literally taking curriculum and putting it into content and delivering this content to Mm -hmm. students and if they don't have cultural safety training then what are we then what are we doing right so yeah anyway Mm -hmm. and is there um anything else that you'd like to share like an anecdote or anything that i didn't ask that you'd like to um, talk about um I mean, like, our resource center is pretty cool. (laughs) Not just because I work there or, like, kind of organize it, but um, I think it's really important for Ottawa U students to know that everyone's welcome there. Um, And everyone say we have free lunch for everyone, literally everyone. Like, we want everyone to come and just kind of get to know each other. And we're always – it's a much more relaxed, like, place to work. It's one of the best places I've worked, for sure, because it's just – me and the students hanging out and I'm there to support them in any way that they can. Right. And so I think just having that support service itself, I guess like the coordinator, whoever's in this position really needs to get to know the student before you can recommend anything. And I think it goes, goes, um, it's the same thing for anyone else that works at the university frontline with the students. You need to actually get to know the student before you can help them. Because you're not just going to spew out the same jargon to every other student because it's not going to work for every student. And people get caught up with that for sure. They're like, oh, this service exists, so this will work for everyone. No, no, it won't. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem.